Conversate Trans is an intergenerational podcast series exploring trans culture. The podcast, developed by the Sterlings Collective with funding from Create in collaboration with Tenny, with continued participation of the trans community, explores invisible histories and culture through intergenerational dialogue and archival materials. Having worked closely with members of the trans community over the last two years, the collective recognized the need for intergenerational dialogue and community care for trans people, and this podcast aims to be one part of this. Hi, I'm Alexandra. And I'm Jules. And this is the Conversation Trans Podcast. And today we have our guest, Ailisha, to talk to us about her very special items, which are her tattoos. Would you like to introduce yourself like better, Ailisha? Sure. Uh, my name is Ailisha Pidge. Um, as you can tell, I'm originally from the States. Um, I'm a software developer. I've been banging around Transline now for... 26 years something i forget i a long time um and yes i guess uh i was asked to bring something with me so i brought my tattoos um because i always bring them with me you never leave them at home no 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 no. they're 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 kind of permanently attached um yeah yeah and and most of them are visible now um for a very long time i didn't have visible ones and then I just, you know, probably about 10 years ago or so, I started saying, ask it. Um, and, you know, I was in a career where tattoos were fine. As a matter of fact, the more tattoos you had, the more legitimacy you had. So I'm just like, all right, fine. Um, and so, yeah, I started uh, getting uh, my... Originally, it was full sleeves by 40. Uh, now it's full sleeves by 50, and I have uh, uh, two years to go. So... Uh, <laughs> COVID has put a um, um, damper into uh, my tattoo uh, life, apparently. So, you know, I, I, it may be full sleeves by 60 at some point. <laughs> that's that's awesome, though. Um, and what kind of tattoos do you have? Is there any stories? Um, oh, God, there's tons of stories. Um, so the, the most obvious ones are my pigeon tattoos. Um <laughs> Uh, and, and like most of the folks in uh, my my um, professional life know me as Pidge. Uh, very few people actually call me by my either name um, other than Pidge. Um, and mainly that's because you know when you in in I do a lot of open source development, like Linux development. And we, you need kind of a nickname on IRC, which, you know, if those, for those of you who are really old will know what IRC is, but it was basically an early chat protocol that, you know, a lot of nerds use. So I needed a nickname. So I'm sitting there 20 some odd years ago thinking, what am I going to call myself on IRC? Um, and I ended up picking the name that uh, my, my grammar school bully used for me, um, because I used to walk pigeon toed as a kid. Um, so yes, when I was six, Michael McCurry called me Pidge. Um, so I just kind of reclaimed that name and, um, oh. you know, I, I like pigeons because they're, they're, um, you know, pigeons are really hard to kill. <laughs> they're really hard to kill. If you've ever been to like some big city, you'll see pigeons walking around with like missing a foot. And oh, um, there's like in Houston Station, I always see the pigeons going around, like toes and all missing. 
Oh yeah, no, like, like pigeons are, are are hardcore animals. Um, you know, like there's so many of them, you can't get rid of them. You know, I I kind of they're in a lot of ways they're like squirrels. You know, I I watch like all the anti pigeon stuff that cities try doing where where they put up spikes and stuff and that doesn't stop pigeons they don't care <laughs> they're, they're just banging around and uh when i lived at, i lived in london a number of years ago and um st james park is slews of pigeons and crows as well uh crows are another favorite bird of mine and you know i i didn't have many friends in london so like every weekend i would go down to st james park and you know, feed the pigeons. And it got to the point where, like, the pigeons would recognize me and they would come flocking when I'd come into the park. And, like, I'd hold out my hand and, like, all the pigeons would, like, come up on um, to my arm and just sit there and I'd feed them. And all the tourists are looking at me like I'm absolutely the crazy pigeon lady who comes to the park and has all the pigeons on her arm. But, you know, they're they're brilliant birds. And, you know, I it was that whole um, tradition in queer people land of reclaiming slurs and you know taking that power away from them um so you know for years i was called pigeon and i hated it and now i'm just like you know what yeah whatever that's that's my name so like a lot of people in that world just call me pidge and i sound like the pigeon lady from home alone too in like the best possible way I I I don't remember Home Alone too. It's been a number of years since I've seen that, but uh, I I will. I I have an affinity for for crazy cat ladies and pigeon ladies, so you know. Yeah, I think it's like Brenda Fricker, that like Irish actress who won an Oscar. So like, yeah, it's like a great person to be connected to. Um. Yeah, so so the, there's the pigeon tattoos, and then the um, my first one I got is a quote from a um, early a, a side story from the uh, uh, Ton that is um, a quote uh, where the Morgan um, is telling um, um, Colin that you know. Um, she she gets to be in charge of when he dies, and that's kind of related to um, um, the time I ended up <laughs> uh, ten days in uh, the hospital from uh, some interesting uh, trans related shit. <laughs> um, oh God, uh, I guess I'm supposed to tell this story. Um, Are you okay, Tom? So yeah, sorry. yeah, no, 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 no. It, it's it's a long story. <laughs> um, oh, okay, go on. Um, so my kind of adopted sister was um, in her med school residency. Um, she had graduated med school, was in uh, her residency, and. Um, I convinced her that, yeah, no, we could totally do an orchiectomy. Like, they're really easy. Not a big deal. So, what, Wait, what, what's that? An orchiectomy. What, what's that? I'm not familiar. Uh, rem- removal of... Uh, uh, um, look it up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> look I, it up. I'm just concerned for the people who are listening as well. <laughs> uh, um, 
removal of certain organs that produce a uh, uh, hormonal thing that I would not like to have. Ah. <laughs> um, I gotcha. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's actually not a very complicated procedure. Um, and we had t- done it in uh, my uh, adopted trans ma's totally sterile living room um <laughs> on her barca lounger uh like her little reclining chair which she was apps actually not very happy about <laughs> and you know surprisingly we got uh, i got myself an infection and i got um and part of that is how they they teach how to do that that surgical procedure. Um, they teach it for cis men and they don't teach it for trans ladies. And, you know, part of the, uh, the, the bandaging process is different for trans, uh, women and, um, got an infection and went to the emergency room and they basically, you know, uh, did the whole thing that they generally do with our people, which is get out of my emergency room, um, and sent me back home with nothing uh, and a couple a couple of days later I went back in I couldn't stand up because like every time I stood up the column of blood would just press on this massive infection and the second I got into the emergency room they're like okay they're doing the thing that they always do are you pregnant no I most certainly am not um, and then like it was actually the last time I wore a skirt or a dress because I couldn't get jeans on. Um, it was just too painful. And I just like, I'm lying on this gurney in the emergency room and I just flip the skirt up uh, and she looks at it and she's like, okay, morphine or Percocet? And I'm like, morphine, please. And they gave me morphine and um, they, I was in the emergency room for, or in the uh, uh, hospital for about 10 days um, and healing up from that took about three months. And, um, my adopted sister felt very bad about it, but we used it as a learning opportunity. Um, because a bunch of years later, uh, me and my adopted sister, like she was doing residency on abortion and I had been in the pro-choice movement for many years doing clinic defense and I knew a bunch of history about it. And I was telling her about, um, this group of women, uh, called the Jane Collective who in, I believe it was Chicago prior to, uh, Roe v. Wade in the United States that legalized abortion. Um, they basically said, well, you know, we can't trust the medical establishment for our own healthcare. So we're going to do it ourselves. Um, and I had been involved in like some, a lot of the early third wave trans feminist discussion. Like a lot of that is actually documented in, uh, Julia Serrano's, uh, book whipping girl, which, basically documents a lot of the conversations that we were having on certain message boards back in the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, and we're like, here's this really feminist thing that we could do, uh, you know, where we take charge of our own healthcare because, you know, in, in early or well, 
anything prior to the, the advent of Obamacare, mostly in the United States, like, you know, you, you folks in Ireland would feel really familiar with that because the state of trans healthcare in Ireland is very similar to that. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm like, you know, it's, it's like going back in time for me. I'm really comfortable with this because this was the crappy standards of care that I transitioned under. So, you know, in a lot of uh, ways, the, the, the healthcare situation in Ireland is very familiar to me. So we basically said, you know what, let's start our own clinic where we t- take low-income uh, trans women and give them uh, surgeries that they wouldn't be able to afford otherwise. Um, so as far as we know, I hate I hate it when people do the first da-da-da-da-da because God knows if I'm the first. I, we don't know if we were the first, you know, because that, that history is in a lot of ways lost to us. But we opened the clinic and there were no, we had no complications. Um, you know, we, we had taken what we learned from the initial surgery and modified the procedure enough so that we could be very safe and were able to do that. We ran it for like two and a half years, something like two and a half years. We also did electrolysis as well. Wow. Um, and we did it on like a sliding scale. Like the most we ever charged someone for surgery was 500 quid. Oh, Wow. Um, and that basically covered our expenses. Like we weren't making money off of it. We were, yeah, like nonprofit. Yeah. No. And, and the funny thing about it is, God, you, you know, um, so me and my ex girlfriend, Chrissy, um, were living on a farm in the middle of, uh, Washington state. And Jules, uh, my sister, lived uh, not very far from us. And we're, I'm like, where are we going to do this? And that farm had kind of like a tractor shed. And I, we were just looking at it going, you know, we could build a room in this. So we built a room in a tractor shed. <laughs> we built an actual surgical clinic in a tractor shed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I still get giggles out of that. Uh, and... Um, you, you know, people hear that and they're like, oh, my God, doing it. And it was like, you know, I I had a little bit of background in construction, as did uh, um, my ex. My ex was an electrician or, well, electrical engineer. So um, we, we built this room out of this thing. And, you know, it was like surgically clean and everything. It was actually pre- it was pretty slick. And we did it on like the absolute cheap. I think it cost us like $1,500 uh, uh, to build the thing. And Jules had been collecting medical instruments off of eBay, <laughs> like an autoclave, an electric cautery machine for ages, just, you know, just to have them because, you know, once she got out of medical school, she was going to open up her own abortion clinic. And we're like, well, here's here. We, we got a place to put it all down. Uh, she had it in storage and it just went to my house. So, you know, I built this thing out. My landlord comes over and he's like, oh, what's that? And I'm just like, oh, I need an office for some electrical projects I'm doing. So I just built an office in there. He's like, oh, that's great. <laughs> and to this day, as far as I know, my old landlord does not know what we did in that uh, barn of his. Oh, my God. 
Now, here's the funny thing. Um, I was looking up on Facebook, and, like, that, the house is a really old house. It's, like, you know, it's, like, but like, like, the farm is one of the original farms in the area. And the landlord's son, who is, like, now 30, when I was there, he was, like, 5 years old or 10 years old or something, oh. um, now lives in the house and has started a farm. And that uh, room ended up getting converted to a certified organic chicken slaughtering room, <laughs> which I find absolutely gas. I'm just like, oh, it's okay. Well, it's clean enough for the FDA to certify that, you know, chickens can be slaughtered in it. Um, you know, and, and the funny thing was like, like the, 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 most terrifying part of that uh, entire thing was the day we got raided. Um, we, we had this uh, one patient, and I can't give too many details, but basically she went to her physician back home, and the physician looked at the work and said, oh, this is very nice work. Uh, who did it? And she basically said, two trans women up a logging road in a barn. Now, now, while accurate, <laughs> while accurate, it, it was up a very long gravel dirt road. Um, it was in a converted barn. Did not portray the cleanliness of the operation. <laughs> you know, we had autoclave, autoclave logs. You know, the, the entire thing got bleached before and after every surgery. It, it, was, it was an actual medical clinic. So... Um, and I can mention this person's name because she gives me uh, permission to. Uh, my friend Dana was there. Um, and the process that we did was we never kept drugs on premises because we weren't allowed to. So what happened was people would get a prescription for like Vicodin or something. And we would go into town. They would bring it back. They would take it in front of us and we would do surgery. Well, my friend Dana is a lightweight. And um, basically it was really rainy that night and we had to walk from the barn to the house. But Dana was so blasted off of Vicodin after surgery and that she needed both of our helps to get her into the my house because she was staying there. Um, so we drugged her into the house and I, it screwed my uh, process up. And so I went outside, I got all the instruments, I brought them inside and I cleaned them. I'm like, okay, I'll run them through the autoclave tomorrow. Um, I went outside, I did a real quick bleach down of all the surfaces, but it wasn't nearly as good as I normally did. Um, because normally I'm moving everything and bleaching under every surface. And I'm like, okay, when I come back out here to do the autoclave run tomorrow, do, do a second clean just to make sure. So, um, that the next morning I'm, uh, sitting there having my first coffee and smoke, and uh, I had geese, and the geese start yak, 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 yakking. And I'm like, okay, who's coming up the driveway? Um, and I look out front, and there's a, um, bl a dark blue Ford Taurus. Now, if you're from the States and you remember early 2000s, a dark blue Ford Taurus is a government car. And <laughs> a dark blue Ford Taurus with government plates is a government car. 
And this was around the time that, like, a lot of lefties and anarchists were getting visits by our friends in the FBI, um, especially out in the West Coast, because this was not too far um, past uh, WTO. And we got real worried. So I'm sitting there at the door going, oh, shit, I'm about to get arrested for something I didn't do. I don't know. Um, and the this kind of dumpy old guy and dumpy old woman get out of the car and I'm like, okay, those do not look like fence. What's this about? And they come up to the house and I go, can I help you? Yeah, we're with the Board of Health. Okay. <laughs> we, we're here. To, we, we understand that you're running a clinic. Okay. Can, can we see it? And I'm like, can you give me about five minutes? I need to call the doctor. So I, this is, this will tell you how long ago this was. Uh, I had to page the doctor on an actual pager and I paged her and I waited two or three minutes and she didn't call back. And I paged her again with a 911 after it that meant call now. And she gets on the phone. She calls me and she's like, what? This better be important. You just dragged me out of something at, at the hospital. And I'm like, well, the board of health is here and to stop fucking around. What is it? And I'm like, well, the board of health is here and they would like to see the clinic. And she's like, really? And I'm like, yep. And she's like, well, show them the clinic. So I'm like, all right, fine. And I go and I uh, walk outside and I take them out to the clinic. And I'm like, okay, uh, I just cleaned in here yeah, last night. So please wipe your feet. It's been muddy out because it's been raining. They, of course, don't wipe their feet. Walk right on in. Oh, God. And I'm like, oh, great. Uh, well, I got to be out here anyway and clean. And I, I'm kind of like backed into the clinic uh, from them. And they're like, well... Uh, where do you keep the drugs? And like, we don't keep drugs. I explain the entire drug procedure. Um, <clears throat> and um, then they're like, well, what about the autoclave? And I hand them the autoclave log along with all the test uh, uh, strips and the test batch numbers and everything. And they're like, what about your business license? And I'm like, we don't make enough to qualify for a business license under, state, under Washington state law. However, for the electrolysis business that I do run out of here, there's my business license up on the wall. And as they're looking at the paperwork, I'm like looking around the room and they have me backed up to a wall back behind the, to, towards the electric cautery machine. And I look behind the electric cautery machine and there's a specimen cup. And inside the specimen cup were there for remains from last night. I missed it. And I'm like, Oh shit, this is bad. Oh God. Now here's the thing that baby trans folks don't know. If you want them to go away, if you want cis bureaucrats to go away, say trans a lot <laughs> and say it loud and say like the full version of it. And I'm sitting in there and I'm like, okay, I need to get them out of my clinic. And I need, all right. So we were, um, the doctor was involved with trying to uh, get this uh, woman uh, that, was one of her patients healthcare under uh, Medicare or something like that. And the state was fighting them and fighting her or something. And I just start going off. I'm just like, well, you know, I got to be honest with you. I really don't want to be doing this. And the only reason that I'm doing this is because you guys won't do your fucking job. And they're like, well, this isn't our department. And they're like, I don't care. I got two board of health functionaries sitting in my clinic. It was rating me for some 
god awful god unknown reason if you guys are going to be in here the only way i can get you guys to understand that you're failing in trans healthcare is for me to berate you right now so i'm going to if you're going to be in my clinic i'm just going to sit there and tell you how you guys are failing so i just start going off on them and they get this really uncomfortable look which is this thing that you gotta like it's this thing that we have like, like it's this trans magical thing we have if you want cis bureaucrats to feel feel uncomfortable very loudly say trans <laughs> they and they get really uncomfortable and it's great and, and and either things go either one way or the other um they do whatever they can to get you out and it's like sure i'll stamp this paperwork just get get out of get or they don't give you anything. So, you know, um, basically, I just started saying this really loud. And they just got really uncomfortable and they left. And then they didn't come back. <laughs> so we're sitting there for three months, four months go by, nothing. We're like, well, we got a visit from the Board of Health. And they, they told us, yeah, we did an investigation. The investigation is ongoing. We're like, okay. Well, they come back and they said, everything is fine except for one thing. And can you guys guess what that one thing was? The specimen? Nope. They didn't even see it. Oh. They didn't even see it. They did not catch it. Oh. They did not see it. The dirt they, like, dragged? The mud they dragged into the uh, clinic themselves. <laughs> He said the floor at the the floor at the front of the clinic was dirty, and I'm like, yeah, oh, really? yeah, you guys are pissed that you couldn't find anything, <laughs> and we made you look stupid. So, um, yeah, no, we did that for two and a half years, and we, like the funny thing is, is, like after we did this, we didn't talk about it ever. It was not talked about, like. Um, just because it was so weird, <laughs> like no one has done, no, as far as we knew, no one had done this before. And, you know, it's like, I, I went off and, and, you know, like, I, I, I didn't really want to talk about it. And then I found out like all these people knew about it as this part of like trans rumor that like, like friends of mine that, um, my, my, a pal of mine who passed away uh, a couple of years ago, Noreen Plunkett, um, they were from uh, Ireland, I, but like they were in Germany when this was happening. And this had happened 20 years ago and we're sitting there in Portland and I tell them the story and they're like, that was you? And I'm like, how the fuck do you know about this? And they were like, oh yeah, no, we heard about that. And I'm just like, Oh my God, the trans rumor world is crazy. Um, you know, and yeah, so that's the story of that tattoo and the stuff that fell out of that. that that's like just so crazy. So, like, it started off with you trying to convince your sister to help you perform a surgery. And then it turned out like you made this whole clinic. And, like, you are, like, fighting the the feds to try and, like, keep it open and all, and they're coming to try and catch you. Like, that's an adventure. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and that's the thing that, like, you know, I tell, I, well, it's, it's this thing that, that, you know, cis bureaucrats need to remember. Once they take away everything from us. Yeah. 
that there we have nothing to lose at that point. It's just like fine if you're not going to give us healthcare, we're going to find a way to do it. Um, you know, so like, and you see this in Ireland with you know the way that a lot of us are going around the HSE. Um, like I've had a hideous time getting healthcare in Ireland with regards to this because you know, like I went to this one uh, physician in Cork when I. Uh, moved here. I had just run out of estrogen. I had a backlog when I moved in. And I'm like, yeah, no, I need to refill this. And she's like, well, do you have a diagnosis? And I'm like, yeah, 20 some odd years ago. Um, and the, the shrink that gave it to me is long dead. Aww. And she's like, well, you're going to need to go to Lachlan's town and go see Warm Tongue. And I'm just like, honey, that horse done left the barn. <laughs> and on top of that, are you honestly telling me you're willing to let my bones turn to dust? Uh, because like my transition is longer than your career. <laughs> and the, the thing is, is that, that physicians in this country are so terrified of getting on the wrong side of anything mm. that, you know, it, 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 it's sad because this is not rocket science. It is bloods. Yeah, no, I mean... And a fucking HRT profession. I'm going to go off now for a second, but... Uh, no, go off, please. I started I started transitioning. I guess 17, I kind of realized that I wanted to transition, you know, and I wanted to live as a woman. And um, I, I didn't know where to go, and it's so hard finding any kind of information. Because I went to doctors and stuff, and they were like, oh trying to give me, like, a suggestions and kind of sending me to therapists and stuff, but not, like, nothing productive, you know? Not getting me to where I needed to get. And then, eventually, uh, through using Tenley's website, I found someone in Cork, a psychotherapist or psychologist, or psychiatrist or something. Lisa Brinkman, I think her name is. Uh, but going down to her, you know, I had to do so many sessions and this is like, you know, six hours, I guess, there and back. Uh, I couldn't take public transport because of the times and the buses and the way they worked. So I had to get family to bring me down. Mm-hmm. And, of course, pay for petrol and all that. I would pay for them because it's such a long drive. And then I went here for, like, ages. And she tells me, oh, you're not ready for hormones yet. You don't, like, you don't, you're not comfortable enough presenting as a woman or whatever. And I'm like, well, yeah. The hormones would help me kind of do that transition. Yeah. So then, well, in this, this is the fucked up thing is that like the, they are in this SOC that is, it's not even, oh, Jesus, I'm going to, I'm going to say a blast from the past. H. Bigta. It's not even H. Bigta. Um, Harry Benjamin, blah, 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 blah. I forget. H. Bigta said you were on hormones for two years and then you transitioned and started presenting. And so they're doing this reverse, and it's silly. Yeah, but really. Um, but the thing is, right? So she said she she basically said, "Go start living as a woman and come back in like six months or whatever." And like, and then I couldn't get an appointment with her after that. I just got at her for months and months trying to get the appointment, and then eventually she gives me permission to start going to see someone in Jada. Because uh, I went private because I was like, right, I I want to get this sorted. I want to hurry up and get you it, and I'll just pay the extra money, and I have the means to do that. Luckily, but then, uh, I'm like waiting months and months and months to see someone in Jada, 
And then they're telling me to get my bloods done. And I went and got my bloods done. And then they weren't good enough. I had to go get them done again. And then I had to go get them done again because they messed them up again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, like this year, so I started transition, looking to transition when I was 17. Uh, that was seven years ago. Um, this year, I started taking my hormones, uh, finally. But then uh, they want more bloods taken to make sure, that, I guess, that my, my kidneys or whatever aren't disintegrating. But I've been off them now for nearly like six months, I think, because they couldn't get my bloods done again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's just bloods. Like, oh, my God. And this is why, you know, we do everything from um, gender GP to uh, illegally importing them or whatever. Right. I mean, because it's silly. It's it, 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 And this is... There's not a good reason for it. No. Like, 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 even the reasons that, well, what if you change your mind? You've affect your, affected your uh, ability to reproduce. And I've oh, heard that before. Like, I preserved. Do you, know, do you know how crap of a reason oh, that is? Oh, like, I've, I've preserved, um, I don't know if I can say it, but I, I've, I've, I, I have means to reproduce scientifically. Yes. Uh, yes. Like, well, that's, that's so even, easy to sort out. Even that, I've known people who have been on HRT for decades. Yeah. Who have reproduced. Oh, yeah. I, I know it's rare, but I have heard it could happen. No, it's not even rare. No? It's not rare. I know at least four people. Oh, so, so okay. They, like, it's, you go off, you go off them for a while, and it takes a while. There's some effort in it, but... It's not unusual. Like, like I know easily for people who've done it. Wow, I I didn't know that. So, no. It, well, and this is the thing: none of them that they all sit there and pretend that they're experts in our in our healthcare, and none of them know this. Yeah. So what you're saying is like just just for people who are listening, even after you've um, started uh, hormone block testosterone blockers, it's a good idea to still use birth control. To avoid pregnancy. Well, no, no, I, I, I mean, yes, you should be using that anyway. But oh. um, if you want to reproduce, and again, I am not a medical doctor, but there is evidence of people going off HRT and being able to reproduce. Ah. Now, sometimes they can't, sometimes they can Sometimes it takes a little bit of effort, but it's not unusual. And that is like one of the reasons that, well, what if they change your mind? We've affected their ability to reproduce. Number one, so what? Yeah. Um, and number two, that's not true. <laughs> and it's, I think it's kind of interesting because it kind of mirrors a lot of the likes of the eight. Where, um, oh, entirely. It's just control over other people's reproduction. Reproduction, sorry. Yeah, no, and this is one of the reasons why, like, you, you know, with the eighth, um, one of the reasons I was annoyed with a lot of what happened around there is because, you, you know, it's like, look, the same assholes that control my body mm. are the same assholes controlling cis women and other people who can get pregnant's body. Absolutely. And, you know, it was this... 
I, I'm in Parents for Choice, and, like, you know, they wanted me to do this big thing about, like, why trans people are in the fight for the uh, repeal of the eighth. And I'm like, well, it's real easy. Like, I don't need to do a talk about this. I can say it in, like, four sentences. Um, because why do abortion laws persist, exist? To punish women for fucking. That's why they exist. Yeah. To punish women for fucking. And the why trans women are involved. Well, you know, we are targeted but not affected. You know, they didn't sit there and go, well, we're going to punish uh, these specific people. They said, we're going to punish women. Cis women, trans women, we don't care. We're going to punish them. Uh, why are trans guys involved? They are not targeted, but they are affected. You know, there has never been an abortion law ever created that was saying, ooh, let's punish trans guys. Mm. Doesn't happen. But they are affected by it. So the same assholes who are sitting there trying to control our bodies are the same ones trying to control other people's bodies. And that's why we're involved in it. Um, and there, there was this kind of move to kind of boot us out of both that and uh, marriage equality. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> you know, if you want to talk about people who have very little body autonomy in Ireland, it's people, people who can get pregnant and trans folks, mm. you know, it, that's what it comes down to. And this is, you know, the, it, it's, it's a much larger fight than just getting rid of the Eighth Amendment. It is changing how the medical profession in this country deals with people people's body autonomy. Yeah, I, mean, I agree completely. Because yeah, I remember I watched the documentary that I believe the people who, I wouldn't say took over, but became the like respectable face of, the marriage equality movement, they, like the 34th or something, and it was very much people who weren't applicable to like the, I won't say the cis gays, but like kind of. And if they were too like radical, they didn't seem to be included, and that like was mentioned in them. But then there was obviously those people weren't interviewed, and it's just a lot of that. Like, if you can't appeal to people, it's like you're gone. Like back in the day, we called those folks the A gays. Um, you know, what the, does that mean? The, the, well, there's the A gays and then the rest of us. Oh, right. You know, they're the ones that work at banks and, you know, have the lovely loft apartment and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and, and, in a way, I'm just like, look, I'll go along to get along because this is important. But yeah. I know what's going to happen. You're going to sit there like you've always done and said, we'll come back for you and never do. <laughs> I mean, they did this uh, in New York when they um, um, uh, did uh, Empire State Pride did a uh, like the the. The whole um, equal rights uh, thing, and they left us to the side. And I remember Sylvia Rivera having a shit fit about it um, because they always promise that they're going to come back for you, and they never do. They never come back. 
um, you know, and, and the fortunate thing is, is that we were smart during, uh, uh, repeal in a lot of ways in that a lot of the people who were in charge of a lot, a lot of the organizations, they're, they're trans friends, they're friends of ours. Um, so, you know, that even though there was this go along to get along thing, you know, you see ARC coming out strongly for us. Um, you know, there's, uh, Parents for Choice still come out strongly for us. Um, you know, so there was a friend of mine, Aoife Reardon, did this entire Twitter thing about power through over, power over. And it's this thing that oppressed people in Ireland have to do where we do power through, where we, we sit there and say, your issues aren't necessarily my issues, but I'm going to work on them because it's important. It's one of the reasons why, like, you know, traveler rights important for us as trans folks to support because they're in the same, the same people who hate them are the same people who hate us. Uh, direct provision, same thing. Mm. It's the same assholes. And the, the more that we work on other people's stuff, the more solidarity in between those groups that we are able to, to, to do. And, and like, the thing is, it's like, you know, if you look at trans people in Ireland, there's a hand of a handful of us. If you look at travelers in Ireland, there's a handful of us. If you look at uh, people in direct provision, there's a handful. But when you put all those groups together, yeah. there's a fucking lot of us. Um, I don't know. Have you ever heard of the curb effect? Uh, is this the uh, the little fish with the big fish? I haven't heard of that. Uh, okay, why don't you explain it? <laughs> So so basically, right, when they started building curbs into roads, the main people that they benefit is people who are in wheelchairs or who otherwise couldn't access, uh, get onto the paths easily. Um, I, I think, I believe people complained about it because they're like, oh, you're putting all this money into building these curbs when they only benefit a small majority of people in wheelchairs or whatever. But when you think about the use of curbs... They come useful to everyone. They reduce the number of people who are in accidents falling over paths. Uh, they make it easier for people with buggies, people with bikes, mm-hmm. people with trolleys. Like they, they really only make life easier. Like uh, they only, they're only nece- necessary for a single person, but they improve the quality of life for nearly everyone. Yeah. Um, and the basic concept is like, well, this is similar with a lot of things. So if you think even sit on the train when they announce the um the next stop. Yeah, you don't need to hear it because you can look out the window and see what stop you're at. Um, that's mostly for the benefit of deaf people. But sorry, I got mixed up. It ends up helping everyone because you can you don't have to look out the window now. You can just listen. You can hear it. There's you're less likely to miss your stop because you have more stimulus, I guess. Uh so that's kind of what we're talking about here. Is like we might be having these things that only really are there for travelers. Yeah. yeah. But yep. in the end, when we make those changes, there'll be changes that benefit everyone. I think usually when we, yeah, you know, um, you blind people. Sorry, I don't. I, I feel like I'm a bit. Uh, it's okay. Misguided at the moment. I'm uh, yeah. not misguided, but no, 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 no. That that absolutely. That's absolutely it. Like, um, oh, one of the things that um, keep. Do you guys remember turf sale? Sorry. 
turfs out the letter, the feminist ire letter. The one I'm always accused of writing, even though I had very little to do with it. <laughs> um, you know, like, like there's this in, in Turfland, the, there's this um, story that I wrote it, which I didn't. At best, I did final editing. Like, like a bunch of cis women wrote it. Like, um, I, I forget the folks involved. I know Sinead Redman was one of them. She's in Parents for Choice. Um, there were a few other people involved, but Sinead wrote, I think, the bulk of it. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, like, they hand it to me, and 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 I read over, and I'm like, yeah, change that line. It reads funny. Um, but there's this, uh, there's this weird narrative that, that like, I'm in control of them. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, hey, have you met an Irish feminist? <laughs> Yeah. Like, like you, you guys act like you've never met one before, which I find hysterical. Um, me being in control of Sinead, oh boy. Um, but like, here's these cis women who basically said, this fight is our fight because it's the same people. It's the same concept. It's it's about the ability of people to choose their destiny and choose what they do with their bodies. And, you know, they, they got behind this and, you know, and it was like, it was a relatively small thing. Like, it, like the British transfers wanted to come over on their UK tour to Dublin, which went over real well. Uh, you know, very moderate people. A lot of them were like going up the raw at that. Like Dublin's in the UK up the raw. Um, but they all backed that because they see, and it's not too difficult to see. It's the same people who want to make those laws, who are the same people who are in charge of denying us health care. You know, it's that same mode of thinking. Yeah, uh, that's it, like, because it's, um, it really is a case, like, I don't know, but I just remember, obviously I'm still very young, I haven't been involved with kind of politics or activism for very long, so I don't have a lot of experience. But um, I just remember during the 8th, which was the, maybe the first major kind of referendum I was aware of, um, people were saying kind of like that the body autonomy doesn't just affect women, it affects trans men yeah. and stuff like that, and they need to be yeah. included. I think that's a big part of it, like that kind of... Oh, yeah. No, it, 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 affects, it affects all of us. Yeah. That, you know, yeah. If, if you're a cis guy that wants to get a vasectomy... How, how easy is that in this country? If you're a cis woman mm. who wants to get uh, their tubes tied because you don't want any more children, how easy in the, is, is it, this in this country? It's next to fucking impossible. And, you know, it, it, it's this, it, it, it's still this holdover. And, it, and it's not unique to Ireland. I mean, it's, it's, you see this all over the place of the government gets to say what you can do with your body. Um, and you know, that, that is a very, it's a very concerning thing that, oh, yeah. you know, they still do this. They still do it. The thing, um, oh, sorry. Now I'm after forgetting why I think I'm saying. No, go ahead. No, it's gone. I, I was going to say something, and I totally forgot what it was. Okay. 
Um, we could talk about more tattoos if you'd like, because <laughs> I have a few more. Um, oh, I'm going to talk about sad things, though. Oh. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about my friend Bryn, because that's, like, one of the last tattoos I had. Um, God, I knew Bryn for, like, 20 years. Um, and Bryn ended up, uh, killing herself a few years ago. And I have, like, the last thing she posted on Facebook tattooed on me, be kind to each other. Um, and, you know, like, Bryn was in one of the first, uh, uh, fights for trans women to be able to go to women's colleges. She applied to Smith uh, College. She was she was accepted, and then there was some schmiel about that, and you know things were. But like, you know, I look at it, it's it's it, it it's it's weird. Um, if I look at kind of the, the trans women communities that I've been involved in, there's the uh, kind of trans feminist community that I've been involved in. And of that community, uh, we've only lost one trans woman out of that, which, you know, when you consider, yeah. um, when I look at like my peers the people i transitioned with there were six of us and there's only two of us remaining now well yeah i think that's a part of life um you know and that was 26 years ago uh sue uh died of natural causes julie jumped off the high steel bridge in portland uh my ex chrissy shot herself in the head um melody died of it was diabetes but I don't, I think that there was something related to um, medical just kind of ignoring it. And then there's my, my adopted trans mom who died uh, earlier this year, who took me in when I got booted out of the house uh, 26 years ago. She only knew me from the internet and I showed up at her house with like a, a duffel bag and 300 dollars in the pocket and let me sleep on the couch and I ended up moving in there for like years um but like um she was terrified of doctors and because she didn't have good experiences with them and you know that that is very common um within our demographic um and uh, she was also stealth and, you know, it was very hard for her to trust doctors because, you know, trans broken arm syndrome. Um, and she was very heavy. Um, and she just assumed, oh, yeah, I'm just a fat girl. I'm just a fat girl. And it turned out that there was actually something medically wrong with her that for 30 years she didn't know about. Mm. You know, in a lot of ways, you know, I consider she was murdered by medical neglect. They neglected it. The medical profession neglects us because they don't know what to do with us. Um, so they, 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 you know, when we do go to see them, we're abused in a lot of ways. Um, I can count on my hand the number of times that, and I am a frequent flyer to the emergency room. I'm a frequent flyer to A&E. Um, I, ha I have a thing with motorcycles. I like 
them, um, but I don't like gravity. Um, so I have a tendency of crashing motorcycles um, and ending up in the emergency room and ending up having to have some sort of fight with a doctor about my trans status. Um, and, you know, when you do that enough, it wears you down. And my mom was wore down. And she was wore down to the point where um, basically the only way she was able to get or to want to seek medical care was when things got so bad that she couldn't walk anymore. And, you know, that that's that's a failure of the medical system. Um and in a lot of ways, it's a failure, and, and I know this is going to get shit, it's a failure of our community in that um, a lot of times with some of the older women, it's like, all right, I'm done. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'm going to run away. And, you know, that that's, I, I, I feel that, man. I get that. I get that feeling. It is, you know, I have gone through all this shit. I'm tired and I don't want to fight anymore. And, you know, I hear that. And on the same token, it's like, you know, the, I, the only reason I can see so far is because I stand on the shoulders of a lot of kind of bitchy trans ladies who have demanded things that from, from, the medical establishment, the political establishment, and that's why I can see this far. So, you know, in a lot of ways, I, I kind of go to the older ones and I'm like, you have an obligation and your obligation is to, you know, you don't have to de-stealthify. Like I had to de-stealthify like 10 years ago because I was, um, from a work perspective, I was taking a much more um, public role. And I knew at some point some shady ass bitch was going to out me. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to out myself in this way. No one can control that narrative but me. And, you know, I'm not asking, like, you know, older trans women who are stealth to do that. But I'm asking them to, you know, we have an obligation to the next generation to make it easier for them. Um, it shouldn't be as hard as it was for us. Um, you know, so like, you know, that was one of the things my mom taught me. My mom, you know, she, she was stealth, but she poured her heart into it. Um, like there's Irish girls who know who my mom was because my mom was like, we used to joke about her. She's the uh, reason for transness on the internet. Um, she was involved in some of the early AOL chats and like, you know, she did a lot of work with, tra with um, trans kids back when doing work with trans kids was a lot more dangerous. Like she got ca fucking called by the FBI because some parent, was all like, you're trying to trans my kid? And she's like, no, I'm just listening. Um, you know, so there's an obligation for uh, those of us um, who are older and, you know, have the ability to give back to the community to do that. I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of, I feel, a hard thing to know how to give back to the community sometimes. 
it's very hard. Um, you know, a lot of it, it, there's folks who can do emotional labor and folks who cannot. I am not an emotional labor girl. (laughs) If you come crying to me under my shoulder, I'm going to go there, there, find yourself a therapist. Um, just cause I just really bad at emotional labor. I'm just like, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I, I'm a dumb kid, dumb working class kid who just kind of muddles through life. I, I don't, I don't. I don't know how to do any of this. Um, you know, if I look at it this way, if you're a, uh, if you have the financial means, then give that way. If you have the emotional means, then give that way. If you have the time means, then give that way. Even if it means writing, writing a damn letter, your TD, do that. Um, there are a lot of ways to contribute to this. Um, you know, and it's, it's hard because like a lot of people in my age demographic who came out like 20, 30 years ago were traumatized, right? Um, like a lot of things, a lot of us don't have elders because our elders died. Yeah. Like AIDS wiped out a shit ton of our elders. Um, and the, the whole medical establishment with the, you must transition and go stealth and not tell anyone wiped out the rest. Um, you know, so well, yeah, go ahead. In a way, uh, the AIDS epidemic, that, that I feel is kind of coming back to the kind of curb effect I said earlier, because it was mostly spread among gay men. And the whole thing was like, they weren't treating it because, well, I mean, if you're familiar with some British history, they uh, they had, I believe, decriminalised, I might not have this quite right, but they had made some kind of political achievement towards gay rights. Yep. And then during the AIDS epidemic, when the gay community was obviously, or the LGBT community was um, reeling back and very hurt, the, um, the, the government then went ahead and decriminalised it again. Yeah, because they weren't they weren't able to fight back at the time, and uh, like the the AIDS everything was so hurtful. And I think it's really again it shows you that neglect towards healthcare because that the uh, AIDS obviously is not just something a gay man can get or just gay people. <laughs> and there was all the miseducation where people are saying people are still miseducated about AIDS. If you go to schools and stuff, they always talk about yeah. And um, I think that's just affects everyone. And nowadays there's more straight people getting diagnosed with AIDS because they don't think they can get it yep. than, um, than LGBT people. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and, I, think it's, and, it's... I mean, I, I, I was at one of the ground zeros of that crisis when I was like a little queer kid, um, you know, 1986, 1987, mm-hmm. New York city. Um, and you know, like it, it messes with you. It like, and when COVID came around, I'm just like, oh, I got this. I, this is like, I've been through an epidemic before. This is, yeah. this is nothing. This is nothing. I, I, I will wear my mask because, you know, this is mask, condom, same thing. Uh, <laughs> you, you know? Masks, a condom for your face. It's pretty much a condom for your face. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how people... I can be such denial about uh, COVID, people not wearing a mask and things like that. I find it very... Odd. Oh, they're barebacking. 
you, you know, it, it, it's, it's, I, I just treat them like people who don't wear condoms. I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to avoid you. <laughs> and yeah, I don't want to hear me. <laughs> for me, it comes down to kind of hygiene and just basic mm-hmm. hygiene, really. Yeah. I think that's all it is at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to tell you to wear a mask, but I'm also not going to tell you to wipe your ass. And if you don't do either, <laughs> that says more about you than it does me. <laughs> that, yeah, I like that. That's a good um, way of putting it. I, I that's how I say it. It's like, all right, you're you're one of those people who doesn't doesn't cover their mouth when they when you cough. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I hate when people do that. Um, I know we all have times where we don't do it by accident, or we don't we don't know a cough is coming. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, oh, I, yeah. I'm a bit for my hygiene. I'm a bit. Uh, I don't really like other people's germs. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I I am not a germ foe, but I don't. I like my own germs, not other people. Yeah. <laughs> Very selective about whose germs I want. Eilish, <laughs> uh, I think we might just wrap it up now. Okay. If you're okay with that. I am fine uh, with that. With that great piece of hygiene advice. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone wear a mask. To practice it. Practice two meters. Um, and for God's sake, if you don't have to go anywhere, don't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's. I think it's quite difficult isolating, but it won't be much longer, hopefully, if they get these uh, vaccines rolled out. Look, I live up a bog road and lead from by myself and two cats. Self-isolate that. I still live with my parents, so uh, I need to get out of the house. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Eilish. Uh, Jules, do you have anything to add? You're very welcome. Oh, wait, no. I didn't talk a lot, but it's just very interesting to hear what other people have to say, and thank you so much for coming. And talking to us today. Yeah, there were some really great stories. Like you're very welcome. I, I was absolutely enamored, like talking about the. Because uh, I, you told me a little bit about your um your barnyard clinic. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've heard it before, but just like in such detail. Yeah, like that's yeah, exactly. Amazing. Like, and it's so funny as well. Um, so thank you, Eilish. Uh, if people, uh, listeners are interested, we will have links to our social media around. We have Twitter, Instagram, and. Facebook and uh, we will be here next time next week probably thank you so much for listening bye thank you you're very welcome thank you